Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the Luke Ayling on the bench of the podcast. See, I told you removing me wouldn't magically fix everything. And I'm joined by the Canate brain fire of the podcast, John McKenzie. Look at that high press go. And I'm joined by the Adam Farshaw late sub of the podcast, what the fuck am I meant to do about this mess? It's Dan Holdsworth. <laughs> How are you, Dan? Um, well, that's apt, actually, because I've had a really bad day at work, so yes, mess is apt. But otherwise, fine, mate. Thank you. <laughs> good. Good to hear. And uh, as is the now tradition, have you eaten well today? Um, no, it's been a bit of a basic day. I had some leftover chilli on a baked potato for my dinner tonight, so nothing fancy, I'm afraid, but did the job. That'll do, that'll do. I had a, I had a, take, I had a takeaway tonight because we didn't have much in, so mm. I had a very spicy apna pizza. It was a lot spicier than I was anticipating, and I could only finish half of it, which is rare for me because um, I can handle my spice, so I'm going to walk the pot on it. Um, how about you, John? How are you doing? I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm. Uh, it, we're midway through a Champions League game right now, and I'm watching it with Liam Tharm of The Athletic. You can see him just on my screen in the background and we're going to get takeaway after this so um, hopefully something nice he was trying to talk me into getting steak as a takeaway but i've uh, i suggested that wasn't maybe not the not the food for takeaway but yeah that sounds like a nonsense to me that sounds like a london nonsense um <laughs> but that could just that could just be me um but yeah um we'll get straight into what it is we're here to talk about which is the recent liverpool game so we'll get in a quick uh, a game summary, shall we? So we started well, um, allowed a goal from the transition, um, allowed another average goal. Then we scored a fluke goal at the start of the second half. <laughs> then we allowed four more average goals. Game ended 6-1. Take some responsibility. This is a relegation battle. So how was my summary? Did you think I missed anything? It was very Frank Lampard. I yeah, enjoyed that, it. That's what I was going for. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that came across. Okay, so we'll get straight into the interrogation. Um, we're going to be doing things a bit differently today. Um, we've decided to mix in the listener questions with the interrogation rather than having it as its own separate entity. We think it will work better this way. So we'll dive straight in with um, a question we got from Steph in our Discord. Uh, Steph said, have we been as bad as the two previous scoreline suggests? 
Have we been unlucky, uh, expected goal difference or something else? We'll go with Dan first. I mean, there's probably an element of bad luck. I mean, we've 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 conceded 11 goals off an xG of 5.7 um, post shot xG of about 7.29. So yeah, there's an, there's an element of, of luck. You don't expect necessarily to. I mean, perhaps you expect Liverpool to put you away to, to that extent, but you don't expect teams like Palace to put five past you, you know, from an from a from an xG three or whatever it was they got. So. Yeah, I guess there's a slight bit of a uh, bad luck in there, but I also think there are some there are some probably tactical structural issues which we can probably get into later that that that, that were evident in both games, and I think both teams, Palace and Liverpool, uh, were able to exploit those. So yeah, uh, an element of luck, but no, I'm I'm more concerned actually. I think there's there, there are there are weaknesses in Leeds that that lend themselves to that score those score lines. Yeah, um, I'd agree with what, what you said there. Um, there, there is definitely the unluckiness to concede so many goals from uh, the shots on target. What, how many shots on target did Liverpool have? Maybe seven, and the scored six, Thanks. I think. I think so. Uh, yeah. So th- that's a very high percentage of shots on target being scored. And um, for me personally as well, um, most of those shots were very good shots and wasn't too much that I felt Melier could have done about them but we'll get on to Melier later John how about you on this question yeah it's it's the same old conundrum isn't it for Leeds which is which is always how much is the game affected by the way that we play and the way that we leave ourselves open and it's happened so many times it feels like over the last three seasons um, that it, it almost feels as though three seasons it's two seasons I think I'm I'm, I'm losing track of time. Either way, it, ever since the decline of Bielsa, it, it feels as though we leave ourselves open for these chances. Again, it's something that we're going to talk about with respect to Melier. Um, but there's big questions about when you leave yourself so exposed on the break in the way that we have done in these last few games uh, that it, it raises questions about how faithfully the models really reflect what's going on. Um We'll, we'll, again, we'll get into this with, with Melier because I think he's almost being hung out to dry a lot for the, for the, the sins of um, his teammates further up the field. I remember this happening, to be honest with you, during the Bielsa era and the, the promotion season even. There were some games, you remember the Cardiff game uh, is, is one that people talk about, but not the 3-3, the, the, the one we lost, was it 2? It was either 2-0 or 2-1, but they Two, they they scored two very low value chances, um, seemingly. And it was Robert Glatzel, I remember. He seems to does he play for Hamburg now. Uh, that's a bit of a blast blast from the past. But again, it was the same sort of situation where you look at it and you think we've just been sucker punched by um, a couple of chances here, and and that's that. Um, but when you look at the the sort of uh, pressure that goalkeepers are put in under when they're playing for Leeds, I think. Um, you, you know, we 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 leave them with a huge amount of work to do. Um, obviously, the models are based around the idea that there's sort of repeatable defensive structures in place, and it just felt a few times that Leeds would leave themselves so wide open that goalkeepers almost couldn't really read the situation in in a fair way. But I, I, again, I feel like I'm I'm maybe tran, tran, um, uh, what's the what's the word um, trespassing on on the area of of Elan Melier right now so maybe I should wait for that bit to come up but yeah I there's 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 elements of bad luck there's also elements of I think collapsing in in short spells I think we're seeing that happen so in the Crystal Palace game people said well the game just sort of Leeds lost lost their heads in the second half I actually don't think that's necessarily true I think I think they gave up two big chances within a short space of time for whatever reason and I think the same sort of thing happens in happened in this game as well a couple of goals fairly quickly and then you're facing an uphill battle so yeah the elements of, of bad luck elements of 
predictability from from Leeds um, and the same old defensive frailties and problems raising their heads. Yeah, that's very very true. And like uh, you alluded to there, we do have uh, something on Melia coming up, and that is the next question. Uh, so uh, obviously, it's a very hot topic at the moment is the performances of Melia. Um, so I want to have a, a discussion about them. We've conceded a lot of goals recently, and uh, Melia for the season is uh, minus eleven point one shot expected goals plus or minus um just for anyone who may, may not know what that metric means um post shot expected goals is the difference that the striker makes to the shot in question and how likely that shot is to be saved so you could get a shot from outside the box which normally would be a very low xg chance but if it's put in the top corner it's got a quite high post shot expected goals and the plus minus part of it is saying how many goals we should have allowed and Millier is currently tracking 11 goals more conceded than what he should have done so um, John I think that you've sort of spoke a bit about this uh, about the post shot xg so I'll come to you first on this yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot today. I've been working with Phil Hay on a piece uh, on Melier, so uh, a lot of this is at the forefront of my mind, uh, which will be out on The Athletic later in the week. Um, it's, it's a really tough one because um, if you actually... So, yeah, you've, you've already talked about what post-shot expected goals are, um, and the general idea is is that when the ball is hit by a by an opponent goes towards the goal the you can sort of work out the likelihood of it going in uh, you can aggregate all of those chances and then add them together and sort of work out as you've said um the the amount of goals more or less than expected that a goalkeeper has conceded i think melio's had a couple of bad seasons on that front um so yeah double figures in both of the last two seasons and i think the interesting question with melio is like what's the the line of causality um, to what extent do Leeds do badly because Melier is doing badly and to what extent does Melier do badly because Leeds are doing badly and uh, it's not quite so simple to to work it out because um, if you actually track so one of the things that we've done in the piece is we've tracked a rolling average of 50 uh, well so a rolling um, block of 50 shots for Melier in the piece and when he's overperforming Obviously, it goes up, and when it's underperforming, it, the, the the graph drops down. So you can roughly see how well he's doing at any one point over that that rolling block of fifty shots. And you'll, if you see the athletic piece, it will be in there, so it'll make a little bit more sense. But it just gives you a good sense of how close to average he is. Um, and in the first couple of seasons in the Premier, first season in the Premier League under Bielsa, um, he's just sort of fluctuating around his average. Uh, so sometimes he's slightly over, so saving more than you would expect. Sometimes he's slightly under. And then midway through the Bielsa decline season, he drops right off. And at the end of that season, when Jesse Marsh comes in and Leeds do a little bit better to, to get out of the, the relegation trouble, he actually trends upwards quite considerably. And he sort of stays, it's still below average, but st- stays roughly um, uh, roughly close to that level for the beginning of the season. Again, interestingly enough, Leeds did quite well at the beginning of, of the current season um, under Jesse Marsh. And then again, the decline starts setting in. And Melier drops off as well. And interestingly enough, you can even see a bit of a new manager bounce from when Gracia comes in. Um, obviously, with Gracia, Leeds pick up 10 points early on. And again, that correlates kind of quite nicely with with uh, Melier picking up a much better um, figure from from his expect, post-shot expected goals versus his actual goals. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I suspect that actually what's happening here is a couple of things what we've already talked about with the models which is um when leads collapse they collapse catastrophically and leave very wide open chances which maybe make the the chances that 
um, according to the models, aren't quite so big, less, uh, less look less bad than they should do. Um, on the other hand, I think that he's also a young player, and so I'm sure the psychological impact of the team doing badly and him being asked to do uh, a lot more than than maybe he usually is has that impact as well. So, yeah, I, I think that's what it comes down to. But we can talk about the the few of the Liverpool goals. Um, the Mohamed Salah chance was one that was the first goal, sorry, was the one that a lot of people were interested in um, because I think a lot of the post-shot expected goal models had it, or maybe the XG was was really low, like 0.06. The post-shot expected goals was around 0.2, I think. So you'd expect him to save it in one in five, uh, to let it go in one in five times, save it four out of five times, which seems, um, yeah, it seems low for me. But uh, again, with that situation, it's a, a, tr- a transitional moment. It's the the, def- the three defenders running back and Liverpool players around them. And uh, actually, if you look at Melier, he starts out on one side of the goal and ends up on the other side of the goal. And there's questions about his movement there. Uh, but again, it's really hard to read that situation when there's so many possibilities where the Liverpool players can go. I think that just sort of makes it a lot harder maybe than the, the historical average, which is what the, the uh, post-shot expected value will be based on. So... Um, Anyway, I've talked a lot, so I'm interested to hear you you guys and your thoughts on this, whether or not um, the, the sort of line that I've thrown out, which is leads get into these situations which aren't really representative of the historical average, uh, and so maybe the, the models don't represent it as well as uh, as they could do, whether or not we think that um, there is an issue with Melio overall, which I, I think, look, I, I agree that he's not looked great recently, um, but is the, is the question, should we be dropping him um, or, or should we just be uh, uh, persisting with him in the hope that... Th- things aren't going to be as bad as that in the next few games. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there. One thing I just want to pick up quickly on about the Salah goal again there, which you mentioned, because um, like I mentioned, that it starts on one side of the goal and moves to the other. And I think he was trying to work out where the pass was going to go as well, because I've looked quite closely at Jota, who assisted Salah, and he wasn't looking in Salah's direction at all um, for the few seconds before the pass was made and I think that got into uh, Strout's head as well because he was he was looking yeah. keeping quite a close eye on Jota so I think he was thinking where's he looking where's he looking where's he going to pass because on the other side um, there was another player going through I think it, was, it, was it Gakpo who was on the other side or someone else um, so there was two options where the ball could have gone it could have had either gone to Salah or it could have gone to Gakpo and that that indecision that that caused I think kept both Strauch and Melier guessing as to where they wanted to be. If I think if Melier would have positioned himself closer to the post where it was going to be, um, then it, it, could, it could have been the other way that, that Jota passed. But I think Jota was always going to pass Salah either way. But I think that's what the indecision was. Um, regards to, I think Salah kind of ran across Strauch, didn't he? I think, and and I'm presuming Melier is worried about the shot coming back over Melier's left shoulder. Um, but I think Strike did actually quite a good job of blocking that shot and I don't think Melier really responded to that and, and perhaps was a little bit to walk too far to his left if he'd maybe taken a step or two to his right he might have had a more of a chance of stopping the Salah shot but still Salah like, belted it 100 miles an hour didn't he I probably still goes past him so I kind of feel like we're probably splitting hairs aren't we a little bit criticising that one I mean I do think his positioning could be a bit better but I, I still think it goes in if, he, if, if he's one step to the right yeah um... it, is worth, it is worth saying as we were saying in the chat before that the post-shot expected goal models are often based on um, simply the expected goals of the, the, the chance that is being taken um, but also the positioning of where the, the ball's going relative to the net um, without any um, sense of where the goalkeeper is stood um so what what those models are assuming is that that the goalkeeper will be 
positioned in the best possible situation most times. Um, there's, a, no, there's no variable that takes into into account where the, where the goalkeeper is. So it, it does mean that post-shot expected goal models are quite crude. Um, I think they will get better as time goes by. And I know that, for example, Statsbomb always very tentative about their post-shot expected goals models um, as well. So it's, it's, it is worth saying that the idea that an outlier might break the model is, is a lot more um, convincing for me than the idea that maybe an expected goals model might not work where there's many, many more variables that are taken into account as well. So it's, it is worth admitting that from the outset. But I think the, the big question is, is okay, we, we can talk, like, like Dan says, we can split hairs as long as we want. The big question is, should Leeds be still playing Ilan Melier? Has it got to a point where, regardless of whether or not it's psychological or it's technical, um, these mistakes now are too are too big in terms of um, the, the the sort of performances he's putting in and actually having a negative effect on Leeds? I think there's um, bigger issues than Melier um, regards to us, us conceding goals. And I know other people say it's the goalkeeper who has to stop the goals, but it's also the team who has to put him in the best possible situation to be able to save those goals as well, applying the right pressure to defenders. That's another thing which doesn't get taken into account for um, post-shot expected goals is any defenders pressuring and other sort of things along those lines. Same, same for XG as well. Uh, there is flaws in all these, but I'd, I think, think Melier had while he has been underperforming, the team as a whole has also been underperforming. And with these issues, which we've gone into about um, how open he, the team has been in certain moments, especially in transition, and uh, this game really highlighted the, the problems in transition, same, same as the Palace game. Um, but I also personally did a bit of a breakdown of Melier's performance over the season. I just, um, just compared it to post XG plus or minus, and I, I broke it down into went to games where he has was good, where he overperformed and saved. The difference was, I think, what did I say? I think it's 0.04 or, or, or above. And then one games where it was average, where it was between 0.04 and minus 0.4. So it's sort of like a swing. Uh, either way, between the zero mark would be the model, and then the other end would be bad, where he has underperformed his XG, not plus XG. And of the of the games of the season so far, he's had thirteen games where he was average and generally met his plus expected goals target. And bad, he had thirteen, so the same amount of bad, same amount as average. And then he had four games where he has. Um, kept where he had a good game where against the plus shot expected goals that he's faced. So I think over the course of the season is although there is some games where he has looked really bad based on the goals that we've conceded, I think overall he's maybe not as bad as what he's made to look like by the total figure of minus eleven, because I think that has been compounded in a few specific games where it's really gone over, especially the Tottenham game. He was two point two games sorry, push expected goals over so what he should have done. So he, he conceded four goals. He should have only conceded um, well, a lot less than that, <laughs> two two point two less. But yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else that anyone wants to add on this. Oh, well, the the other thing is is I was going to say Robles. I mean, Robles has been there a long time, and we've hardly seen him play. You have to wonder. I mean, there's there's a good argument for taking Millie out at the moment, isn't there? There's a fairly solid argument. I don't think there will be outcry if that happened. But is there is the reason that we're not taking him out that Robles is just nowhere near the level? We don't know that. We have, we've hardly seen him. Did he play against Cardiff in the Cup? And seemed to do okay. But we don't have a lot of data to, to say. So, you know, maybe in training they're, seen, they're not seeing a lot from Robles and, and, and that is that is the reason. It could be as simple as that, really. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, looking through the the games where he's underperformed um, above one post expected goal, a uh, post shot expected goal. Sorry, um, there's quite a few teams where you'd expect him to have. Um, well, none of them are teams where you expect him to um, have to put in a massive performance in order to keep the opposition from scoring. So you've got Brentford. Uh, that's over one. Leicester over one. The Spurs game that you've mentioned already, uh, and then we've got the Crystal Palace game as well. A Bournemouth game in there too, and then the Liverpool game as well. So it's not as, it's not as if those performances are coming against massive sides where we've just capitulated. They're coming against sides where you would hope that your keeper would would do enough to help you stay in the game as well. So there's definitely questions to be asked about that. And for me, the, the big question is how much can we ascribe it to psychological issues, in which case would a break be a good thing? Um, we've seen that happen with a few goalkeepers this season. Um, Hugo Uris was a, a similar situation where they took him out for Fraser Forster for a bit and it seemed to have uh, calmed things down a bit. And then the other thing, as I've said, is like how much of this is down to Leeds just sort of collapsing and, and it being a... Uh, I guess an aggregation of different issues all at once, but yeah, it's it's clear that, that as things stand, it doesn't look great. So it might be for the better to give him a bit of a break, get him out of the limelight, and uh, and at least if you know if things go bad with Robles in goal, then at least you have some kind of arguments to suggest that maybe it's the system causing these problems. Yeah, that's that's all very fair. Um, I wouldn't be against giving Robles a try. We haven't really seen what he can do or not. I think he had the game against Wolves as well in the cup, where if I recall correctly. Uh, Wolves scored a late goal and he was a little bit questionable for that one um, but yeah um, we'll move on to the next part which I think is more about the structure so we had a few questions um, from listeners about our structure out of possession um, up until Liverpool scored their first goal um, they had actually only accrued 0.2 xG with us having accrued 0.55 so uh, was our block the reason for this or is this just Liverpool being bad come stand first Bit of both. I thought the block was fairly. The, it was pretty functional. They'd, done, they'd obviously been drilled fairly well for that period. Um, and yeah, Liverpool were really bad. I mean, they were moving the ball so so slowly, weren't they? Um, I think it was fairly easy for Leeds to sort of get back in shape. There was a few occasions when Liverpool punted the ball over to Salah from the left hand side. Um, but they were fairly floaty balls, and Leeds were able to get back into shape pretty quickly. I think so. I, th- I think it was mostly around Liverpool being bad, but the, the shape was pretty good. It was working pretty well. I think we both we all commented. We noticed um, Rocker and McKenney filling in between centre backs and full backs when they were needed to, or occasionally I noticed that the wingers dropping out, dropping over as almost like wing backs to make it a back five in, in a situation. So I think it was pretty pretty good. And and there's a there is. A, <laughs> I hate to go on about luck. <laughs> I met John Twitch this week mentioning luck, but there's an element of bad luck with the first goal going against us. Um, you know, you could argue we could have got the handball. You know, it was a poor touch from Furpo, and then they pounced on that and put the goal away, and then all of a sudden, game stakes against us. So, you know, you, you, as the optimistic fan that I am, sometimes you do wonder: had we got to half-time nil-nil, and could we have could we have stretched it on? You know, perhaps is is, is there a, is there a way into a, into the game for us later in the game? But yeah, I think once once we once the, the problem is with playing that kind of system, and we're not we're not necessarily very good at that system. You have to be perfect for a long time, and we're not good enough to be perfect for long enough to make it work. So that so yeah, I think Liverpool were not great, got a slice of luck, and then you know had a nice situation to play in. Then yeah, but I personally thought that the 
block that we had was was, in, was pretty solid. I, I, I like the way, um, like, you, like you mentioned there, that Rocker and McKenney were dropping between the left back and the centre back. That's something which I think you, John, mentioned last um, last time about the uh, midfielders dropping in, in, into that, that space rather than moving wider. And I felt that they did that quite well. And uh, after the after the goal went in, and I, th- I think the, we we pushed forward a little bit more, and. I think that, especially this was true in the second half. Um, we saw Rocker and, and McKenney both getting more forward in the forward press, which I think the, the, the block was nearly totally gone by that point. It wasn't quite a full high press, which we had, but Rocker and McKenney were getting more forward and trying to, to stick to the midfielders more, which left more space behind them, which Liverpool hit with longer balls. I'm not sure what you think on this, John. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to read because the quality of your block, as Dan says, is only as good as the quality of the people trying to break down your your low block. Um, and I felt as, as as though if you went, well, I watched it back in that first 30 minutes before the first goal. We were doing very little in, in, in regards to actually stopping them from getting the ball into dangerous areas through that block. There's a few situations where they managed to, you know, bisect the two forward players in the in the front line and get the ball in in space and then they just gave the ball straight back to us i thought they they played pretty poorly in in many um phases of the game um they were trying to do that thing with alexander arnold that um that they that they do um and i'm not i'm which is you know inverting the the fullback and they're doing that at the moment but it seems to me as more of a, a sort of desperate idea rather than anything based around um uh, a, a sort of uh, strong tactical um upside that they're getting from it which makes it hard to read because it felt as though in the particularly in the first half alexander arnold was just dropping in basically to the first line of the the liverpool build up and so he was just essentially like a, another central um, a centre centre back basically, um, so they didn't really put much of a pressure. I didn't think at all in actually getting the ball into dangerous areas. Um, on top of that, as Dan said, they were very very slow uh, moving the ball around, and I think you know again. Um, if you don't move the ball quickly, then you give every opportunity for the opposition to get the block back into shape. So I thought they gave us every chance of of blocking quite well. Um, there was a there was a period I think around the tenth minute where they actually upped the tempo a little bit and they caused us a few problems there uh, and then and then dropped off a, a little bit again. Um, and in that time, look, Leeds did Leeds caused, caused some problems, but I think the, the problems that we mainly caused were from set pieces, which was obviously in the game plan, right? It's, you, you sort of low block, you look to get those those free kicks uh, and then you try and generate chances from them. And then to the Rodrigo header, which was pretty well um, rated. And then there's a few other shots from outside the box. And I think a Robin Koch header at some point from a set piece. Um, but yeah... I thought the I thought the the first goal for them was was lucky. I thought it was a handball, um, but I also felt as though the way that the game was going was that the only chance we were going to have really was from either a breakaway goal or a set piece goal, and then sitting in with the same block. And it felt as though it would inevitably be broken down. I didn't I didn't feel as though we were we were sort of um, doing a great job of. Um, of keeping them out, I just thought they weren't weren't doing a great job of breaking us down. And I think as the game would have gone on, they would have got more and more um, 
they would have upped the tempo more and more and caused us more and more problems. And I think if we'd have gone a goal up, I think they we 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 would have just sat deeper and deeper, uh, and we wouldn't have gone for as many of those of those chances. The other thing to say is that like the block was fine. The issue with Leeds yesterday, I didn't think was the block. I thought it was the fact that whenever we were going forward, we were turning the ball over very easily and had absolutely no vestiges of defensive structure whatsoever when we did that, right? So the second goal in particular is an example of that. Um, so I, yeah, look, the block the block was fine, I think. Um, we were quite passive for most of that 30 minutes. Um, obviously, we started getting more aggressive. And when we started getting more aggressive, we started um, carrying the ball in, in and you know, it's doing what we do. It's, it, people seem quite complimentary of it. This, this sort of get the players all around the ball in the wide area play quick one-touch passing to try and get it forward um, sometimes get it into the final third but more often than not lose the ball and en- end up just completely structurally um, open so yeah I, positives for me but also like I think it's maybe scraping at the barrel to to think that we could potentially have hung on um, that said you know it, it is annoying to give up your first goal to a to a very obvious handball that uh, i i can't see how it got past var and i'm like, i hate talking about refereeing decisions but even i even i sort of felt felt that one was a little bit unjust with with his arm away from his body moving towards the ball away from his body um but yeah, these things happen. I, I it's an, it's annoying, and, and and you can never know. You can never know these counterfactuals. But um, I, I don't think we were unlucky insofar as um, we were we were playing brave football with with a really nice structure. I think Liverpool were pretty poor, and they got a lucky goal, and then that just sort of opened the floodgates for them a bit. That's all fair. Uh, do you think that some part of what, what we mentioned there about us looking poor in possession? Do we not give Liverpool credit for that? Because I felt that, that their press when they did lose the ball was pretty good, uh, especially in the first half when we did try to get, get hold of the ball. We just could, could barely do anything with it. And I, I felt that they were snapping the right players into the press well, especially I saw Trent Alexander-Arnold was very good in quickly moving to, to the, the ball and pressing the targets. And that just, it suffocated us and we weren't able to get out of that. And I, I feel we need to give Liverpool credit on that because it's not like, like we're, we're playing someone who's not known for a good high press. Uh, I know that Liverpool's press has been a bit murky at times this season with um, the problems they've had in their midfield profile. We can relate. And I, I think that we should be giving them some credit for that as well as just saying, oh, we were just crap. It's like we've always said on this parish, uh, well, it's been said historically on this parish that we've got to give credit for opponents to affecting the way we play and vice versa. Didn't Klopp say something about that was his best counter-pressing game he's seen from his team for some time? I forget the exact quote, but Klopp was specifically praising the elements of the, of the, of the game, wasn't it? And um, one, one thing I noticed, I mean, we noticed this a few times, that they would swarm our midfield. So there, there was quite a few occasions where a midfield ball carrier, Leeds player, would have it in the before players around him. We saw it later on with Rutter, didn't we, a few times. We saw it with McKenney. Uh, a couple of guys swarmed in quickly for the second goal when he lost the ball. So they were very good at kind of swarming the the, the kind of midfield pair or the or the second striker who was dropping in. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I think that their, their press or the counter press was very good. Yeah, I think that that, that definitely definitely um, impacts it. Um, we've got another a question uh, which is kind of related to this um, from uh, someone from our parish, uh, Tom HD. Have we seen that this squad is simply not capable of a low block? Should we still be trying to get the best out of what these players are signed for and be trying to instill a smart pressing system that starts further up the pitch? We'll come to Dan first. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when you've got the, the, the fullbacks that are as bad as ours and and and, <laughs> and the and, and the way we play, I think when we context switch from a low block yesterday into an attacking phase, like the rest defence was was just shambolic, wasn't it? We saw that, and, and I sometimes wonder if we're playing a more aggressive game from the off and looking to to, to press the opposition. There's uh, you don't have that context context switching, you know, for the midfield players, and that rest defence maybe could be better set up from the start, and we get more upside from the pressing, and which which obviously we're set up to do, and and perhaps we're even, you know, we, we don't we're not as vulnerable from from counter pressing. I mean, we're probably still vulnerable from counter pressing, but you know, if if we're set up with that in mind, it might be it just might be a better might temp- uh, mentality to go into a game with. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit. I think we should go and play more aggressively. Um, I just if if we try and play a, a low block, I think we just we're always going to get caught out. It's, it's just a ticking, it's just a ticking time bomb, isn't it? The way we play and what way our fullbacks are. Uh, do you not think that with us, if we were to go for a more aggressive from the start block, um, do you not think that it would end up seeing like what we saw in the second half, where that is what we were doing? We we, we were pretty aggressive in in that second half and. We just got exposed so easily time and time again. Even in the last game against Liverpool, um, when uh, Jesse Marsh somehow uh, shithoused to win at Anfield, um, he didn't high-press in that game either, and we did m- manage to do it in that game. So I'm not sure if high-pressing every single opponent is really the right way to go for it. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I wouldn't like us to be always ultra-ultra-passive. Um, there, there could be some ways of of doing it, so it's a bit, a bit smarter rather than put, throwing everyone forward like, like we do. I think there's maybe some kind of middle ground, which it's possible that um, Grazia hasn't been able to or maybe isn't able to uh, implement, uh, which will do what we want. Uh, John, what do you think on this? Well, I think the problem has been ever since we've had Jesse Marsh is that we haven't been able to control games and we haven't been able to control games because we don't really have the requisite uh, players to be able to do that. I do think there's probably solutions that you can find to that kind of thing. We saw that Marcelo Bielsa implemented a system that allowed us to control games better, uh, even despite the fact that we didn't necessarily have the best technical players. Um we obviously don't have that with with Marsh or, or Grazia in that sense. And I think the problem is, is that uh, there's a lot of coaches out there who can, you know, they can defend relatively well, but they can't attack um, or they can attack relatively well and they can't defend. And the, the truly great coaches are the coaches who have systems to move between those two situations and, and, and get the most out of their players in both of them and at the moment. You know, with Grazia, it feels as though we're defending deep because if we push forward too much, we just can get exposed. Um, it felt under Jesse Marsh that the only way we had of controlling games was constantly attacking and leaving ourselves open. So uh, th- there's questions about the the talent level of the squad, and there always will be, I think. But at the same time, I do feel as though what we are missing is a is a, a system that has been put in place by a a coach who can actually make that transition between defensive and attacking situations not so much of an issue that um it it re- regularly leads to leads us to either being completely dry in front of goal or being completely open in defensive transition as well so that's that's sort of what I want to see from um, from a Leeds coach, but at the moment it just seems as though we we can't do that. As we've as I've said already, you know, if we go out aggressively pressing, which is what the squad has been built for, um, we are going to leave ourselves open to that to those uh, defensive transitions, the narrowness of, of Jesse Marsh as well. Um, and I think to go out this, despite the fact that this squad was built for that kind of playing, 
I think we saw that that, that style of play was taking leads down anyway. Um, we've now changed that for Grassi as more more conservative, um, blocky defending, and we're seeing that that's taking us down too. So um, I'm not entirely sure what the solution is uh, beyond attempting to make sure that we can negotiate those situations better, avoid some of the problems that we've been seeing creeping in at the moment uh, and, and, and stop them. But I don't, again, I don't think that the solution is just off the pitch as, as Leeds fans always seem to think. Uh, this, is a, this is a storm that we're going to have to weather, I think, and then hopefully bring in a good manager over the summer to, to um, hopefully get a little bit more out of this squad than the last two managers have managed to. Yep, that's all, that's all very fair. Um, next question we've got is from Aaron Monies, and where would you rank the lead squad in the league on quality and by extension should you be comfortably clear of relegation at this stage of the season we'll go to Dan first um, I think the problem with the lead squad is there's we can see players like Sinister and, and Nonto who you know wouldn't look a million miles out of place in, in a top half squad or you know a solid mid-table squad um and then they've got players like Rasmus Christensen and Luke Hayling and Junior Firpo which you know they're probably the worst fullbacks in the league or close to so it's just such a lumpy squad so in in, in some elements we're pretty good you know like I say we've got like I say Sinister and Onto some of uh Somerville Harrison you know these are these are good attackers and uh, and are probably better than the teams around us probably better wingers than the teams around us have um you know Bamford and Rodrigo are pretty good forwards aren't they I mean Bamford misses chances Rodrigo's not exactly the greatest hold up player but the offer they offer plenty, you know, Rock is quite a good passer in midfield, but there are just so many big gaps, aren't there? You know, we've got a keeper out of form, stinking, you know, keeper is really badly out of form, centre halves are out of form, and full backs are really bad. So it just the whole thing is unbalanced. So it's really hard to, 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 to say. Um, I mean, we saw against, I mean, I was looking at Palace's squad actually after the Palace game, and I just thought they had a really, 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 really strong first 11, way stronger than our 11, and nothing behind that. Where we've got these kind of weird pockets of players, haven't we? Like loads of wingers, great wingers, and, you know, lots of fairly good centre-halves who are out of form at the moment. So it just feels like we've got like a bad squad build with some really good players and it's going to take quite a smart director of football, isn't it, to turn that around, I think, over a couple of transfer windows. So we we perhaps have enough attacking flair to see us through, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a coin flip at the moment, isn't it, really? Um, me on this question, I think that there's certain parts of the squad which are definitely above where we are in the league, like like you mentioned there, Dan. And I think more the issue with us not being clear of relegation has been the pe- people directing um, the players. Uh, so we've had first of all Jesse Marsh, who had those clear issues with the way he set us up, which just didn't work the way he, he wanted it to. Uh, or maybe it did work how he wanted it to, it was just crap. And then we've had Gracia, who uh, so far we haven't seen something resembling what maybe he wants on the pitch. He's just possibly making deal with what there is at the moment, trying to be a bit, a bit more flexible for certain games. Um, what do you think on this one, John? Yeah, I totally echo what both of you have said. It's a lumpy squad, isn't it? That's the that's the issue. There's peaks and there's troughs. And um, yeah, the, the, the peaks may be enough to keep us up and the troughs uh, making it very hard for us to uh, have any sort of coherence on the pitch. I think the depressing thing for me is that I feel as though we're in exactly the same situation we were in a year ago which is in a relegation battle, relying on elite players to sort of solve the problems, do enough to keep us up. And yeah, the the frustration for me is that it feels as though we're going around in circles almost. It, it, who amongst us thinks that if we don't stay up, we won't end up with a similar sort of cycle next season where 
you know, you bring in a new coach and then you you bring the squad in to to fit them and uh, you you sort of hope that the system works. If if not, do we end up in the same situation where again we've got all of these really great um, high ceiling players that Victor Water brings in and we, we're sort of hoping that they'll clamber us out rather than the manager so that's the frustration for me we built a lumpy squad and made it as hard as possible for ourselves to actually um, just work our way out of relegation problems in a tactical manner yep i, I agree with that and the, this next question ties into some of the things which you said there um coming off the back of two very heavy losses at home nonetheless both of these um out uh, breaking records in their own rights should we abandon all hope of surviving in the premier league john no, absolutely not. It's uh, it's the easiest Premier League to stay in in many <laughs> respects. With uh, with with everyone seemingly desperate to to go down, it makes the the margins for errors a lot a lot bigger. I think. Um, I, I've seen people tweeting about the possibility of us staying up without winning another point. So that's the level that we've reached at. Those are the barrels we're scraping. But. I also think that you know we as we've said we okay we we all want to talk about tactical improvements and we want to talk about repeatable ideas being put in place that allow Leeds to get out of this mess. It's probably not going to be that that does it. It's going to be elite players having great moments and we have I would say generally speaking probably um towards the top end of the elite players for the relative to the level. Um give or take Leicester City but look it's I think that we're we're in a we're in a relatively good position all things um all things told given the misery that we've been talking about in 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 the podcast so far so I I always remain sort of fairly sanguine about these things I always think okay we've got there's three games coming up which we could feasibly win the, those three games we could feasibly lose as well, but um, I think the the reality will be something in between, which will be picking up, you know, maybe maybe three or four points from from that run, and and that may be being enough. Um, but again, it's it's easy when you get into these situations to just um, just focus on the catastrophe, right, and and assume that the worst case is going to happen, especially after the last two results. Um, that could feasibly continue to happen, but at the same time, I, I just can't see the rest of the season going um, going the, the way that the last two games have done as well. So I'm I'm fairly positive that um, that we will do enough to get out of this. I don't think it'll be pretty, but I think we have the players to be able to do it. Look, if we don't do it, we very much deserve to go down. So I I find it hard to sort of feel bitter about that. Um, it's been a, a ridiculous season in many respects, and um, I think that, that there's a number of teams who deserve to go down, and I think we are within that number. So um, I'm trying to remain fairly balanced on this, but I, I, my gut feeling is that we do stay up. Yeah, um, my gut feeling is the same that it will probably be same as last season. That really is what it was um, when Harrison scored the, late, the goal against Brentford. That was what pretty much secured us, and I think regards to the other teams. I think we'll need to see two of the teams below us get a lot better than what they currently are, which seems unlikely to me. Possible that one of those two teams, I'm talking about um, Everton and Leicester, those are the two, which I think we're really in the dogfight with for the final spot. I think I think possibly one of those teams could have a resurgence, but both of them, I'm not sure if that will happen, and that would also have time with us not really picking up many more points at the same time. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've long prescribed to the you know thirty five, thirty six points gets you safe. Um, I'm now starting to wonder if it's yeah thirty three, thirty four points gets us safe. So you know, <laughs> I think we're probably okay. 
simply because I don't see both Everton and Leicester improving enough to catch us all. I, I can see us getting as much as, as as much points as one of those two teams, so therefore they won't they both won't catch us. That's how I see it, that's how I see it playing out. So you know, we could quite easily go and scab a win at Bournemouth or something, and and, and that'll be enough, and, and then get a draw against Tottenham last day of the season, and that'll be enough. I could just I could see that happening. So I'm fairly confident we can do it, just because there's so many games to get the prob the, the the number of points we need to stay up. Good, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so I think we've got, gone over the interrogation enough now. We'll dive into the preview of the next game, which is Fulham. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, so how have Fulham been playing recently? We'll come back to Dan. I've had a look at a couple of Fulham games. I mean, they, they tend to be a 4-2-3-1 team um, for the most part. Um, obviously, the big news is is um, Mitrovic is out. So they've been playing Vinicius up front, who I don't think is particularly good from what I've seen. I'm not sure, really. Um, but they, they tend to play this 4-2-3-1. Uh, when they play at home, they tend to be fairly possession-heavy. I look at the starts and they tend to dominate the ball, even against pretty good teams at home. Fairly, fairly aggressive presses at home. They do tend to go go after teams. Um, I want to call it a high press, but you know they have this. They have, I think they have this tendency, don't they, to kind of try and fold onto teams on the touchline and try and use the touchline to defend them, pin them down, the opposition team down, and win it. Um, I noticed when they won the ball back, they, they, they weren't particularly big on on the two games I saw on counter pressing and, and 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 launching quick counter attacks. They were more winning the ball winning the ball back to keep the ball. So they were, you know, they're definitely wanting to get the ball and keep it and control it and, and try and play the ball around at the back and try and draw the opposition out and then launch an attack, you know, down the wings. So the, the, the way they tend to play, they've got very good wingers who tend to kind of tuck in and play fairly narrow. The fullbacks give them a lot of width. So that's the general shape of it. Paulinho, Paulinho, I think that's yeah. Paulinho is the kind of defensive midfielder. He kind of sort of sits and pivots it, uh, and Bobby Reid will kind of bomb forward and 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 join in um, with the attack. So you, you kind of end up with a a five of uh, Pereira, uh, William uh, Reed, and, and and the centre forward or Solomon sometimes plays is quite good. So yeah, I, I kind of see them dominating the game against Leeds, and I can, I kind of see them just you know being fairly aggressive with Leeds and trying to force Leeds to play long. Yeah, I would agree with what you saw there. I saw similar things. Um, especially uh, they are pretty good in build up. I saw and they they I thought that they like to use um, the, the goalkeeper as well to. Helping build up, um, especially so you see the goalkeeper like moving around from the box from side to side to offer the best option, so he's not under pressure when he receives it as well. As that, I like the way he was doing that. Um, John, do you have anything to add on Fulham? Yeah, I did a video on Fulham earlier in the season, and obviously they have this weird quirk with their expected goals against, where they had at one point the worst expected goals against quite late on in the season. Um, so it looked as though they were pretty um, flaky defensively. But actually, when I broke it down, they had really, really bad numbers against the top six teams mainly uh, and then they were pretty good against the teams at the bottom so it's kind of tricky to to read how this is going to go I think there's a, an extent to which this they're, they're similar to the way that Leeds have been in the last few seasons in the as, as Dan says they can be really aggressive out of possession um, and against teams at the bottom that can cause problems um, 
if you get your pressing right, but and you won't have you won't be exposed in quite the same way as you were when you play against a top six side. Um, whereas they've played against Arsenal, who've been able to pull their um, their high press apart, pass through it, and then and then end up getting in behind. So. Um, the, uh, again, it, it, it should be quite a nice matchup because the last time that we played Fulham, I thought we did a pretty good job against them. It was early on in Gracia's um, tenure at Leeds. Um, again, that was a that was a cup game, so I'd, it's hard to know how representative that is. Um, but I, I, again, I, I do think that this is the the, the sort of game where. Um, we we now need to be focusing on rather than the 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 the, the games against Liverpool, right? Where we, regardless of how you see it, you can just look at it as a bit of a free hit. Um, and for me, I think the big question is: to what extent is this going to be reflective of what the future games are going to be under Grazia, or have we got into this like downward spiral now? So, but I think with with Fulham, I think we will be able to take the game to them. I think um, the fact that we can counter press well and break at speed is good. Um, I think that's how we caused problems for them last time. So for me, this is mainly about being able to win the ball off Fulham when they're trying to build up and then get in behind them uh, in that sort of early phase of build-up. Um, those will be the areas where we do quite well. That was the areas that we caused Liverpool problems most, I thought, was when we were winning the ball back around our around the halfway line and, and actually being able to spring quick attacks. So that's what I'm looking for. Yep, I'd agree with that. Um, I do like the way we're Fulham player, but I do think that we are set up well to cause some problems. Um, like you mentioned there, John, uh, we did well against them in the cup, and I think we were quite unfortunate to not come away with a win in that game. Um, they didn't really create much in that game at all, um, and now they're also missing um, one of the best strikers in the league, right? So that's got to come into play, that it'll change the way they've been, and they also won't have their um, other standing striker, Daniel James, because obviously we lo- loaned him to them. Uh, so thank you, um, double agent Dan James. Uh, so, but onto Leeds, uh, what do you think our structure will look like, and do you think there'll be many changes in response to the heavy loss, Dan? Well, there was this narrative, wasn't there, about Grassi being that he was um, someone who you know, adapted to the opposition. And I guess that's true to an extent, but he seems to be pretty set on this kind of 4-4-2, doesn't he, at the moment? Double pivot and, and you know, other 4 2 three, one. So I'm not necessarily expecting to change that. So I, I, yeah, I presume, I just wonder if it'll just be a case of, it'll just be the more aggressive end of his, of, of, of his pressing <laughs> dial, if you like. Um, and they'll just, we'll just play it like a pretty typically, typical grassy performance, try and build up down the flanks, um, try and counter press in the, in, in, you know, from the midfield, from the middle area. So like a kind of, We'll maybe perhaps try and set some traps in midfield and, and, and go from a mid-block to a fairly aggressive press in, in situations. So I think that's how we'll go. Um, I suspect Fulham will have, might be able to dominate our midfield. So I wonder if we'll try and avoid that and just, just like I say, go down the flanks, try and pump it pump it over behind their full-backs. I wonder if we'll be aware of that. I mean, Paulinho's pretty uh, pretty dominant guy, isn't he, in the midfield? I would think he'll have the best the beating Warrington, I would think. Um so yeah, I can see I can see Leeds being fairly direct, fairly counter pressy in this game, and I think that's how we'll try and approach it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, do you think there'll be many changes in um, our, our lineup? Um, I, I personally don't see too many changes. Um, I think he seems quite happy with Sinisera. Obviously, it depends on if he's fit, because he did pick up a knock just before he he was about to be subbed off, which is just typical. Um, so yeah, that, I think he possibly will be out, depending on how bad that was. Um, and there's Bamford as well, I believe, is hopefully back for this game as well. Um, so do you think there'll be many changes to this, John? I don't think so. Sinistera 
worrying with his knee, right? Because it was a completely unopposed shot that he took that resulted in him going down. And it was, it did look like he'd put a lot of pressure through his knee. Um, and he's had knee problems in the past, which is, which is worrying. So uh, I guess we'll wait and see the news on that one. But uh, beyond that, Maybe a little bit of rotation in the forward areas, depending on on what Grassi is thinking. But I suspect that the rest of it will be as 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 and when it was last last uh, yesterday. When was it? When did they play? Mon- when, Monday. Monday. What decade Monday, are we two in? Two days ago. Monday. Two days ago. Um, but yeah, I, uh, there's also the case that it's not there's not a huge amount of shuffling that he can do. He doesn't have a huge amount of other options, right? So yeah, that's exactly what I think too. Uh, so where do you think that we can hurt them? I know we've covered a little bit on where we can hurt them, but Dan, what do you think? I, I just think it's going to be counter pressing, isn't it, and fairly direct stuff down down the wings. You know, for the 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 fullbacks are quite aggressive. Fulham, they, they offer a lot of their whip, so I think we could probably find them out of shape quite a lot. And I think we'll be able to get in behind them. So I think that that'll be it. Really, it'll just be kind of counter pressing, winning the ball, and if we can get clean ball out to our wingers, I think we'll, that's where we'll we'll we'll, we'll get some joy. Good stuff, good stuff. And as I said in this part, in this we don't predict games, but we'll ask how will this game play out, John. Yeah, I think that if Fulham do persist in trying to build up through our press and we can get a bit of joy there, that's where we're really going to cause them problems. Um, if we do do that, it could be the case that they'll just start going a little bit longer, a little bit quicker, but um, they didn't do that last time, so I'd be surprised to see them do it again. So I feel pretty upbeat about this as a potential matchup, uh, as long as those demons that we've seen in the last couple of games are, are merely passing fads uh, rather than longer-term issues that we're going to start seeing rear their ugly heads. Yep, that's all fair. And finally, where will this game be won or lost, Stan? It's a game state, isn't it? <laughs> we need to, if Leeds can score first and we've got something, and, and we've got some, you know, and then Fulham have to come after us. I mean, they'll come after us anyway, I think, and, and we can exploit gaps in behind them. That's 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 where we win it. But yeah, like like I say, if John, like John says, it's the demons, isn't it? That's the big worry for Leeds. If you know, if we concede a couple of goals in quick succession, you just wonder where it's going to, if it's going to unravel again completely. That's the kind of worry, isn't it, from Leeds? Yep, exactly. I I agree with that too. It's really going to be interesting to see if who scores first. I think that's going to be a big factor. I, I personally think Gabe State will affect a lot in this and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that's about everything for the preview of the Fulham game. Um, so, uh, first of all, I say thank you very much to John for joining us. Oh, thanks for having Cheers. me again. And thank you very much, Dan, for joining us. It's a pleasure. No problem. Great. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of the match. But until then, enjoy the game and have a great week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.